Welcome to Jazz Piano Skills. I'm Dr. Bob Lawrence. It's time to discover, learn, and play jazz piano. Today, you are in for a real treat. I am joined by Dr. William Menefield, Assistant Faculty of Jazz Studies at the University of Iowa. Dr. Menefield is going to join me to discuss various aspects of teaching and learning jazz, jazz piano. Dr. Menefield holds music composition degrees from the University of Cincinnati College, Conservatory of Music, and the University of Texas at Austin, where he earned his DMA, his Doctorate of Musical Arts. His playing is often described as a blending of the influences of Stevie Wonder with Beethoven and Kenny Kirkland with Bach. Cincinnati City Beat, a local arts publication covering the Cincinnati, Ohio area, says Dr. Menefield is a leader whose playing is nothing short of breathtaking. So when I tell you that you are in for a real treat, you are in for a real treat. Both the audio and video formats are available for this podcast episode. Of course, you can listen to the audio version of this episode through any of the popular podcast directories, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, and so on. Or you can listen directly on the Jazz Piano Skills website, where you can also watch the video of the show as well, which I strongly recommend doing. Now, it is my great pleasure and my honor to welcome to Jazz Piano Skills, Dr. William Menefield. William Menefield, welcome to Jazz Piano Skills, man. I am so thrilled to have you today. Oh, man, I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. Man, this is, uh, what can I say? This, this is this is what we're supposed to be doing right here. <laughs> it's exactly right. And I love that you got the Hawkeye, I love that you got the Hawkeye shirt on, right? In fact, oh, that's, yeah. that's, that's how I found you, University of Iowa, uh, on the jazz faculty there. And I'm going to give you time to talk about that a little bit. Um, but uh, I found you there at the University of Iowa. And I'm from that area, man. I grew up, I oh, grew yeah. up, you know, yeah, you know where Davenport, Iowa is? Just just down interstate 80 there a little bit right 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 and i grew i grew, I grew up in the quad cities okay and, uh, yeah and then made my way down to texas and i know you've spent some time in texas too i did i did i went to grad school at the university of texas at austin yeah are you still yeah. a are you still a hook em horns? Oh, yeah, i gotta i, I still represent <laughs> for my horns you know <laughs> absolutely so so the but question I gotta, is, man, I gotta run the Hawkeyes now, you know. That's, that's... <laughs> right. Well, hey, they had a pretty good run in the uh, March Madness here. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely did. Absolutely did. My my horns got upset in the first round, so you know that was that was tough on us. And then, uh, and I'm in my hometown is you know Cincinnati, so you know we our Bearcats basketball program is normally pretty good, but you know they're they're kind of re rebuilding and getting it back up there. They got right. some Young talent, but you know, Hawkeyes. Right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Go Hawkeyes, man. So, hey, listen, <clears throat> I want you to take a few minutes right now 
and kind of share your background with the Jazz Piano Skills listeners. Everything from your hometown, you mentioned that you're from Cincinnati, but share share with us your childhood, your hometown, family life, and how you got in the music, uh, and uh, we'll go from there. So I'm going to turn the mic over to you. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, I am the child of, of two musicians. Uh, my father is a saxophonist, and my mom... Uh, vocalist, violinist, and a music teacher from many years before she got into uh, elementary mm-hmm. school administration. She retired as a principal, uh, but, you know, definitely a, a musician, um, you know, composition. You know, my mom mm-hmm. taught piano lessons and violin lessons and voice lessons and all these different things. So I grew up in a musical household. Uh, there was a piano around, instruments always around. And, um, you know, my first instrument was actually violin. I started on violin, played violin for a year. In the first grade, I switched to cello because cellos, you know, cellos a little more comfortable. They always get to sit down. So, <laughs> so I switched. In fact, you can see my, my cello back here. In the, in the yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so piano actually came, uh, it started more as, uh, as, you know, recreation. It was just for fun because there was always one around. I wasn't studying right. formally, you know, for a long time. So that was just for fun. Um, and, uh, you know, I was always in, in into the art some kind of way from the time I was in kindergarten. I was in some kind of art school, Shield Primary School for Arts Enrichment. Then I went okay. to Performing Arts High School, school for, for, school for the Creative and Performing Arts in Cincinnati. Wow. Um and, uh, you know, I was, I, I remember I was 12 years old and, uh, you know, because my mom uh, really wanted us to have a diverse musical experience, uh, she had us in a lot of things, uh, you know, from, you know, uh, playing strings to, I played in a handbell choir for a while, wow. I sang in choirs, I, you know, I did a lot of different stuff, uh, but she also bought a lot of different uh, albums. I grew up on LPs and then, you know, we started doing CDs and, you know, of course. So when I was 12, uh, you know, I remember laying on the floor with a set of headphones and listening to Kind of Blue all the wow. way. Through. And I literally just laid on the floor and listened to it. Mm. And it was at that moment that I knew that jazz would forever be a part of my life. I fell in love with the music. Um, and of course, you know, it's kind of blue. Everybody pretty much falls in love with jazz. Once they <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the album, man. Right, right, <laughs> right. It, it's funny. I'll, I'll say this kind of, you know, parenthetically, but we're, there was this debate, like, what are the top three, you know, jazz albums? In? And it's like kind of blue and love Supreme were, were the two that everybody agreed on. And we could not come up with a third one. It's like every, there's so many other <laughs> But literally right. everybody picked those two. Right. So like, right. okay, well, I guess it's just two then. We don't know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, oh, that's, um, that's when I fell in love with it. I, I I studied with a piano teacher for about eight months uh, when I was 15. It was an amazing eight months piano teacher. Uh, his name is Erwin Stuckey out of Cincinnati. And uh, from then on, I just, you know, it was just me just, listening and and playing and listening and practicing and eventually I got the opportunity to you know get out there a little bit um you know started playing gigs when I was in high school uh, and um I got signed to a a local label J Curve Records uh did an album 
uh, right after I graduated high school. Um, that was a really amazing experience. I learned a lot about, uh, you know, not just the, the process of preparing music for an album, but also what it's like to uh, you know, be under contract, what it's like to get in the right. studio and, you know, the process yeah. of getting musicians together, you know, just all the kind of the business, uh, the business side. Exactly. The business side of music. And, and, um, you know, from there, uh, you know, I took a few years off. I decided to go to college, but I actually majored in classical composition. Um, mm -hmm. and one of the reasons why I did that is because I was already working in the jazz world. I was already mm -hmm. gigging. Right. And, um, you know, I, I got with a, a, a local band uh, led by Mike Wade and, and Melvin Broach, two of my mentors. Uh, when I was young, they, they brought me in and I learned a lot from being in, in, in the band. And, you know, there's nothing like, like you can share it all day, but there's nothing like being on the bandstand, uh, you know, and getting yelled at by cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All, yeah, all those embarrassing moments. Oh, right? man. Like that's the, that's the old school, man. Those, those old school cats, they, you know, they're like, hey, man, look. <laughs> no. <Wow. laughs> In the middle of the tune, too, Bob. Like, it's like <laughs> they will, right? Hey, I'll tell you a funny story about that. I talk about old school. Those old jazzers, man, they don't mince any words, right? They right. They, they just tell you right what what is what it's all about. And I remember I got done sitting in on the bandstand and I was walking off and the jazz pianist, the the the, the guy that normally the regular pianist, as I walked by, he said, Hey man, sooner or later you have to say something. Oh wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Right? Yeah. I, that yep. reminds me of when I got yelled at during the tune because I, you know, I had been shedding my comp in and I was all <laughs> proud of myself and I'm just like filling it up with all these chords. <laughs> and my mentor Melvin, he looks at me, he scowls at me. He's like, space, space. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> when I tell you about, I was so scared. Man, I just stopped playing. <laughs> Yeah, you gave him space, didn't you? Oh, I gave him plenty of space after that. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about that moment is that even though he totally yelled at me on the bandstand, he came up to me after the set and was like, hey, man, listen, you know. Right. What you know, I know you've been shedding. You know, you're getting oh. better. But oh. I just, you know, so he really made it a teaching oh. moment after that. Like, after he scared me. He, he he made sure it's like oh. I know you've been chin, but let me explain and then and, you know. <laughs> but I, I, oh my God. I that was one of the best lessons I ever had after getting getting yelled at. Uh because, you know, he came to me, he taught me, he said, Listen, you know, you wanna make sure you're being musical with your comping, you wanna make sure that, you know, there are moments that it's gonna you're gonna need to give a little more, moments where you need to give less, moments where you might not need to play at all. And then right. uh, Mike Wade came behind him and recommended that I listen to My Funny Valentine for and more, Miles Davis, and, right. and how Herbie was comping uh, for Miles, and obviously not just his relationship to the to the solos, but also just, you know, right. to the band in general. And I yeah. learned, I mean, I, I had that album on repeat for weeks, and I just really dug in. That's when I really started paying more attention to the relationship between the pianist and the drummer and the drummer and the bassist and the pianist and the bass. You know what I mean? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Right. So important because, you know, everybody, everybody wanting to study jazz, everybody's trying to figure out the notes. And we go like, can, I always want to go, can we stop for a second and, and listen 
to a, a much larger landscape here than just the notes. And that's what you're talking about there, right? The Absolutely. interaction be, between the pianist and the bassist and so on. And just, you don't even have to know what notes they're playing. Just listen right. to what's happening. I tell my students all the time, I, you know, I, I typically break things down like this. I say the most important musical skill you can have is your ear training. Correct. And ear training encompasses, as you know, Bob, literally everything, everything like it, it, it's not just, you know, oh, you know, let me recognize that they're playing a seventh chord or, you know, right. let me recognize that they went to some altered thing. No, it's it's dynamics. It's relationships. It's, you know, your musical decisions are all based off of how you analyze all this real time data and having the awareness is all about your ear training. How do I hear these things? Let me make these appropriate musical decisions and based on what I am able to hear and training your ears. Man, there's nothing like that. Nothing like that. <laughs> right. Well, and you know what? To your ability to hear space, like what you were, right? Hear space, hear silence. Right. Right. You, you have to hear silence. And so many young musicians are not trained to do that you know so so, so you've, been, you've been spying on me bob is that what's going on because <laughs> i tell my students this all the time i said you can't i'm not ever going to tell you less is more because that's not specific enough you need to know how to hear the space and make the decision because that's what the music calls for not right. because you're just using yes. less is more thing. Like that's not what how you want to do it. Correct. How do you hear it? And then do it because that's what the music calls for. Yeah, I, I saw an interview with Count Basie one time and he said, listen to what I don't play. Mm. I love that. Right? Listen to what I don't play. And I watched I like, wow. Right? Yeah. That's he that's heavy. <laughs> we can stay here the whole podcast. <laughs> right? So, um, hey, you know, I want to go back to your mom. Can we yeah. go back to your mom for a second? Yeah. Because we know how important moms are. And oh, yeah. uh, But I read something about your mom <laughs> that, that, that I want you to talk about because that it, that's a courageous woman. Uh -huh. and, uh, and if I'm if I read correctly. The rumor is that she removed all the TVs from your home, completely took them out of the house. So you can just yes. focus on actually productive things. That is 100% correct. And it, so I was eight years old. Uh, I have a brother and a sister. I was eight. My sister was six. My brother was 11. And uh, she was just like, yeah, this is this TV thing is too much of a distraction <laughs> for you guys. I'm, you know, I've, I've had it. And she got rid of it. And it wasn't like she got rid of it, like, oh, you're on punishment, you know, and then two weeks later, she brought him back. We didn't have television in our homes for six years. Man, I think that's awesome. Yeah, it that's was awesome. awesome. Now, it didn't feel awesome for about the first month. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> when, when, you know. It, 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 you know, we were mad, you know, but of course she had the the foresight and the, and the you know, parental and maternal fortitude to stand her ground. And and um, ultimately, you know, after about a month, we, we didn't even think about it anymore. And that's actually 
when I started writing music. I started writing yep. music as a result of her getting rid of the TVs. And uh, during that same span is when I fell in love with jazz and I started just playing. And, and then my free time became more about exploring music than it did about watching television. So Correct. Yeah, you know. I tell the I tell the young kids today. I always go like I always go. That was my tablet. That was my that yeah, was right. my phone. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't right. I didn't have a tablet. That's what that's what I had. You know. That's right. And, that's right. And I'm I'm so thankful. Right? Aren't you thankful that your mom had the courage oh, to man. do that? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I think about it all the time. Right. And so you mentioned that she was a composer. Is this where you got your your love for composition? Because you have a master's in composition and a phd in composition yeah my doctorate in composition yeah your doctorate's um, in composition yeah and i mean you know I, my passion for music you know my both of my parents are are you know ha, had a big part to you know, do with that because okay. you know my, my my pops he he was on the music scene on the jazz scene so thanks to him i got to meet a lot of the the, the cats on the scene you know especially you know, the, the, the greats, man, like the greats in the Cincinnati area. I already mentioned right. a couple of them. You know, there's Jim Anderson, a great bassist, Bobby Scott, uh, the great pianist there, like uh, the Charlie Wilson. Mm. Uh, I, I already mentioned Irwin. I mean, it, there there's a, there was a guitar player, oh, one of the best cats, Billy McCullum. There's another guitarist, Wilbur Longmore. I mean, I got to meet and, and ultimately even play with a lot of these guys you know, because my dad was already on the scene. So I was very blessed that way to, to be able to grow yeah. up, you know, and even see these cats in my house. And as far right. as writing music, you know, my mom, you know, she had her hand in everything. Like she was one of those who, you know, she was teaching private lessons. She was teaching drama. She would write songs for her, for her classes and, you know, things of that nature. So, you know, composition as a result, it was just around, like it wasn't something that she taught me to do, but because it was just a part of my life, you know, right. eventually right. it just, you know, became kind of a natural thing to, to mess around on the piano and explore. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, you know, you, you talked about jazz greats. I also read in your bio that you uh, played with uh, Clark Terry. Uh, yeah, Clark Terry, right? Yeah, that was an incredible experience because... I mean, oh my gosh. Man, I mean, okay, so this is one of the all-time greats, right? Like, and... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't even know what to say. He's like my one. I think he's my all-time favorite trumpet player, man. I mean, yeah. that guy's amazing. I can't argue with that. I mean, there, there's 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 many of them for me, but I can't argue with that. I mean, it's it's. Well, you know, does anybody play better lines than that guy? I mean, really? I mean, I wouldn't say so. I mean, it might be some that are as good, but you know, right. better is you know that's that's that that'd be a tough one to justify. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It was great, so what, man. How he embraced us, you know, because I mean, I was, you know, I'm 20 something. I don't know. I was young and, <laughs> you know, and I, and I mean, I, I'm still getting to know cats and they're like, you know, Clark, I'm like, hold on. You mean like Clark Terry, Clark Terry, Clark Terry? Like, really? You mean the, yeah, the Clark Terry that played with Oscar Peterson? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think that's I, exactly what I, I'm <laughs> I was like, so I'm, I'm up here thinking about all these Clark Terry and Oscar <laughs> Peterson records that I've listened to. You know, and I'm like, oh, man. And right. uh, I tell you, what, what I learned from that, from playing with him, was that the music always 
is well, let me make let me say this the, the right way because I don't want to mess this up. <laughs> yeah, because like, he's watching. He's watching. Music, right? I know, right? <laughs> but the music is always in charge. And right. by that I mean he never he didn't force anything that night. He didn't mm-hmm. try to impress anybody. Mm-hmm. He didn't try to play a bunch of, you know, fa- like it was the but the the music it was all about feel and swinging and melody and just it that it was that was the whole night. And interestingly enough, man, it when he took a solo, the things settled down in a way where you could just feel the the wisdom and feel the essence of the music. You know what I mean? In a way that was just it, it yeah. was impossible to describe. Yeah, well, and you know, and that's so very difficult for musicians to get to that point because um, when you said that it was about the music and he wasn't trying to impress anyone, it's hard for musicians to get there because you get on stage and the next thing you know, you want to try to, you know, play everything you know in one solo and impress everybody, right? Impress everybody. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of, there's a quote by Bill Evans. He, uh, and I, I'm going to, I think I'm going to get pretty close to this as being accurate. Bill Evans says, I know it, it may be a peculiarity of mine, especially being a professional performer, but I'd much rather play without an audience. Mm. And when you, when you first, when you first hear that, you think, what the heck, what's that, the, what the, that doesn't make sense. What's he talking about? But then if you stop to think about it, without the audience, he can focus 100% on what? Just the music. Mm. He doesn't have to try to, He he's not concerned about, are you liking what I'm playing? Do you like me? Are right. you impressed with my playing? Right. Am I doing great? Am I doing great? All that stuff kind of goes away. You know how it is when you sit, when you sit at home in your living room at night, all by yourself, I bet you do some of the best playing you've ever done. No, it's true. It's true. And it, and this is this is a great topic. Uh, I actually talk about this with, you know, with my students, just how to find the balance between, mm-hmm. you know, being true to the music, being true to yourself and serving your audience at the same time. Right. How do you do all very difficult. Of these things? It is very difficult. And I but I think, Bob, that having that at the forefront of your mind makes it, you know, a lot more attainable if you are being intent and, and you know, intentional. Correct. Right. You have to do all three right. of those things. Yeah. You, know? you have to be consciously aware of it. Right. 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 And, and plan it into to, to your, you know, to your approach. I mean, I, I, one of the things I think that the young players focus so heavily on is like, Oh, I got to get better, get better, get better, get better, get better. Of course right. you do. You know, we all do. Right. But right. you also have to get better at how you think about actually performing, actually serving your audience, actually executing the music in ways that isn't just about you. Like so, there's this this you know constant <laughs> you know kind of you know teeter tottering that we're trying to you know to, to balance things out. But the more intentional you are about it, the more attainable it is. That's that is so very true. So very true. So, with that being said. You know, you obviously have a passion for the education side, too. Obviously, you're serving on faculty at the University of Iowa. Um, so 
talk to us about that uh, a little bit. Uh, what drew you to the education side of music, jazz specifically, and um, how you personally, how that impacts your playing and your performing, how those two go hand in hand for you? Yeah, well, you know, my, my passion for for teaching, you know, I, I began to st- discover it kind of at a, at a young age. Um, I didn't really know that it would be a huge part of what I would ultimately do uh, until, you know, a little bit later. You know, I was probably you know, well into my 20s. But once I got, you know, into working on my doctorate, I was like, okay, maybe I want to, you know, do this. Uh, but you know, I, I I had a few stints at, at, at teaching various places that kind of, you know, it was like, I don't know, it was touch and go. Uh, but ultimately, you know, coming here and, I, and I'm, I'm very grateful for this opportunity um, because it reignited my passion for teaching and, um, you know, for teaching jazz specifically, because, you know, there are there is so much that's amazing about this music. You know, when you get into the history of the music and you see how it was created, you know, where mm-hmm. it came from, you know, right. when, when you go all the way back, you know, even to, you know, the music of, of, of you know, West Africa and West African, right. and, you know, how right. it comes over here and, and, and all right. the influences from the, from the slaves and and and, and the right. field songs and the work songs and the spiritual, right? And then you know how the the, the European influence eventually comes in and and you know you get all of these lush you know extended tertian harmonies right. and and right. mixed with this African rhythm. That's how Dizzy Gillespie described it. Actually, he was asked what is jazz, and he said, "Well, it's African rhythm with European harmony." And uh, <laughs> You know, you, you start merging all these things together, and then you also think about the cultural aspects of it. It's like the it's the music of the people. You know, it's folk music. It, it, it started off in just as as being for the people. It wasn't even Correct. about performing. It wasn't about being a bad cat. It was just it was about being in the neighborhood. It was about serving each other. It was about singing the blues. It was about getting stuff off your chest. It was about celebrating. It was about crying. You know what I mean? Like as folk music is. And so when you really get into that aspect of it, at least for me, it really changes how I think about approach my approaches to playing it. And more importantly, how I teach it. Because right. when students and audiences, because it's our job as pedagogues, to educate our audience as well. Right. When they understand more of the roots and understand the intent behind the music, then they're able to hear it and feel it and digest it in ways that they perhaps may not have been able to previously, you know? Right. And right. I, right. I put a lot of emphasis on those kinds of things with my students because that changes how you play. No it, doubt. You know what I mean? It when, right. when Absolutely. you're not just trying to play some you know, some scales or, you know, some patterns. Right. But when you are literally telling, right. focusing on telling your story. Right. It changes how you play. Yeah. You know, there's uh, a, there's a, a music education philosopher, sociologist by the name of Christopher Small. And uh, he's no longer with us, but he's got a book out called Musicking, M-U-S-I-C-K. 
M-U-S-I-C-I-N-G, musicking. Okay. And his whole thing, his whole thing is we got to stop treating music as a noun and treat it as a verb, which it was intended to be. It's something that we do. It's something that everyone can participate in. Everyone, everybody in the neighborhood can participate in it. Everybody yes. can make music, right? Yes. So re- regardless of how good you are or proficient at it you are or how novice you are, you can join in and make music with us. And so it's kind of like, he gave an example in his book, um, you know, some of us are great with words, other, other, others of us are not. Some of us are great writers, others of us are not. But we never say to somebody, don't ever write. Don't, right. d- don't right. ever talk. You're not good with words, so don't <laughs> talk. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And in fact, right? it's, it's the joy of, you know, so if we think about professionals, you know, versus amateurs, if you will, right. The, what allows amateurs or audience members to appreciate what the professionals do even more is their access to it, their their ability to right go and do it themselves, and 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 right. uh, you know whether it's their hobby or the way they release, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I know for me, like I enjoy playing basketball, for example. I'm not in the NBA, but one of the things that makes me appreciate the NBA even more is me going out and playing. I'm like, yeah, I know how hard that is to do. I know how amazing this is. Well, that's exactly right. You know, uh, the uh, you know, look at how many sucky golfers there are. Right, but but the PGA, but the P, but the PGA wants everybody playing golf. That's right. That's right. Every everyone, it doesn't matter that you stink at it. Go play golf. You know, and and golf is hard, by the way. I try. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, we we have to have that kind of mentality in music. We got to encourage everyone get get involved and play, regardless of. You know how proficient you are you can make music yeah oh right? yeah and i mean you know when you think about the the you know k through 12 schools uh you know what they once were as far as music programs you know and unfortunately a lot of these things you know being cut you know for various reasons right. it has a lot to do with why it's more challenging for you know some of the younger you know generations right. to appreciate you know, more instruments and things because they're just not doing it themselves. It's not because, you know, something, right. you know, they got skipped over, you know, somehow in a generation, they just, right. The, the access has kind of changed. So, you know, I, that, that, and that part is important to me too, you know, getting music back, you know, into, into the, the high schools and, and elementary schools as well. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So uh, are you, are you just starting at the university of Iowa? Have you been there for a while? Uh, this is my first year. Uh, I'm, wow. I'm literally in the middle of my first year. I just moved to Iowa City in August, and you know, a few weeks later, I'm I'm right there. I'm teaching. <laughs> so, oh, that's awesome. Were you yeah. in Austin until then, or were you back in Cincinnati till you went? No, I actually lived in Atlanta for four years. I had some okay. really great experiences there. Uh, you know, playing, producing, composing, um, right. and uh, that's when uh, Dr. Phillips gave me a call and said, "Hey, I got this this opening. What do you wow. think?" So, oh, that's fantastic. Well, you know, uh, University of Iowa, I mean, I remember, was it the, is it called the Johnson County Landmark uh, Jazz Band? Is that what it is? Yeah. Like, yeah. Right? That's right. So it's, it's got a pretty good jazz program, does it not? 
Oh, absolutely. And it's, and it's getting better all the time. Uh, Dr. Damani Phillips, he's the head of our jazz department. Um, and he's doing an amazing job. Uh, you know, he, uh, him along with our uh, director of the School of Music, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Dr. Uh, Tammy Walker, uh, they are just doing a great job of really being very intentional about how to build up the, the jazz program. And, you know, one of the things that we're really focusing on is building relationships, uh, you know, not only between the students, but, you know, faculty and the students and between right. faculty. Uh, because, you know, talking about jazz or just music in general, but jazz in particular, you know, the, the way that you relate to each other has so much to do with how you play. Um, and that's just an important part of the cultural aspect of the music, you know, it, it, it being about relationships and being about about the people. So a lot of the, the emphasis that we as a department, you know, that we put on the program or the emphasis we put on principles, rather, one of those main principles is uh, the, the relationship. So we try to keep the program at a certain size, not too small, not too big, so right. that we can have that that intimacy, uh, you know, with our students uh, so they can get a lot more more care and, and, and instruction. Um, and really kind of dig and get to know them a bit. Right. So, you know, we're not just like, you know, take this class, get a grade and move on. But we really have time to 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 dig in and, and get to know them and, and get into and get inside of their minds a little bit. And they can get inside of ours, you know, because it's important right. for them to get to know us as well. So, um, yeah, it's, right. it's really awesome. Well, I think that's fantastic because you're right. When you get to the bigger programs, when I when I, I did my master's and doctorate at North Texas, mm -hmm. and oh my gosh, right? It's a big program. There's all kinds of all kinds of jazz cats walking around, and it's hard for faculty to get to know everybody on an intimate level. And and uh, you know, so I think it's important to have these settings where jazz is being taught uh, in intimate settings where faculty like yourself can get involved with the students and help them uh, not personally and musically, which yeah. is going to have an impact on their music. So it's, it's great. So, so talking about the student, let's turn our attention to the student for a second. Sure. Uh, if you had to off the top of your head, if I said to you, give a list, you know, it could be two, three, four, five points, whatever of do's and don'ts that you would encourage somebody that wants to get in and start playing jazz. You know, a lot of the jazz piano skills listeners are actually, a lot of them are accomplished musicians in, in other genres like classical music and, and are wanting to get into studying jazz. So yeah. whether they're, you know, new to music or they're already a professional musician starting to study jazz, what, what are some do's and don'ts that you would offer up uh, to anyone starting to embark on studying this art form? Well, that is, uh, that's a loaded question, but <laughs> <laughs> I love it though. I love it. Uh, so, uh, no, you know, number one uh, on, on the list and I, and we've already talked about this is, is your ear training, listening right. and listening um, in multiple ways. You know, number one is listening for enjoyment. You need right. to enjoy it. You right. need to love it. You need to feel it. Uh, you know, don't just learn jazz because you think it's cool. Right. You learn it because you love it. You know, right. um, and those are very different because, you know, you can have a moment in the audience where you see, 
you know, uh, 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 you know, really amazing band and everybody's cheering and you're like, oh, I want to do that. That's cool. No, that's not good enough. <laughs> that's not good enough. Right. Because when you go get in the shed, you know, right. you're not going to have the right amount of passion. <laughs> <or motivation. laughs> yeah, the audience ain't there, are they? No, uh, man. And then on top of that, you'll be taking the shortcut version right. you know to do it because there's all these different ways now right there's all right. these youtube oh. videos and oh my gosh cats, yes. and cats patterns and you know stuff like that right and i'm like look man you know there you can find value in various things you know i'm not saying that every single pattern or every single youtube you know like you right. can find value in those things correct if they're right. not rooted in the right things if it's not based in the the appropriate principles which you know for me it started with loving the music then they're not going to serve the right purpose and correct. you're not going to know how to use them so that's yes. number one is listen for enjoyment. Then listen to absorb. What do you need to get out of it? Well, rhythm, I, I, music, or excuse me, listening, most important musical skill, rhythm, most important musical element. Rhythm defines everything. It defines style. It defines genre. It defines Correct. melody. Correct. Everything. It's yeah, because we're all variable, right? Right. Yeah, because we're 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 all using the same notes. We're we're all using the same twelve notes. We're That's all right. using the same harmonic structures. That doesn't that doesn't change. There's not a set of chords for jazz and a set of chords for classical music. And there's a finite combination of notes that you can have. I'm glad to hear you say that. That's exactly right. Finite. You know, but, right. but rhythm That's is. Right. And 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 rhythm define literally. I mean, if you think about classical music, it's like okay, you know, there's a the, we 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 typically will like default to like you know Mozart or Beethoven or something like that. It's like okay, we'll pick one of those guys. You know, right. it's like well, Mozart. A lot of if you just look at the pitch set for a lot of his you know most famous compositions, a lot of it is, is scales and you know like repeated notes. Well, what defines that? Well, it's the rhythm. You know, like literally. Uh, Anna Klein and Not music is a, like an arpeggio, you know, boom, right. boom, 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 boom. But it's the rhythm that gives the the definition to it. So you right. know, you apply that to jazz, it's like, well, I don't understand why my stuff doesn't sound good. Why am I not getting there? Well, you've got to get inside of the rhythm. You've got to get inside of the feel, and and by you getting inside of it, it will get inside of you. You know what? You know what I use as an example for this with students all the time? I always play C-Jam Blues, and I always go, look, Duke Ellington takes two notes. No, no one ever no one ever plays the note G and says, man, I love that note G. <laughs> and, and I really, William, I really love the note G when it's followed by the note C. Something about <laughs> Something about that combination just, oh, man. Yeah. But, but, but you know, the note B doesn't do anything it. for me. The right, note, right, yeah, right. The <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it, Bob. Right? I, I use that example as well. I use the CG. <laughs> right? Because look what. Look, spirits, man. Right? Because look what, look what Duke Ellington does with, I, I, what, what he does with two notes. What is it? It's the rhythm. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And that that, you know, so when it comes to learning how to improvise, 
if you think more rhythmically, if you lead with your rhythm, because, and this is, this is, you know, so this is, I'll add this to my list, which is, you know, kind of going in no particular order, uh, outside of the listening part. <laughs> um, but you know, improvisation is a compositional skill. Correct. So you're, you're, you're composing on the spot. So you have to develop some type of, of approach that is going to allow you to think about melody properly. And that's why it's so important to think about it from a rhythmic perspective, because that's how ultimately all great composers write their great compositions is through developing various melodic and emotives and, and, uh, you know, rhythmic ideas, you know, things of that nature. That is more of that than it is about mastering the harmony. Correct. You know, you touch on so many good things here. You know, I, I instruct students all the time. I, I tell them that uh, your conceptual understanding of music will de- ultimately determines your physical success. So yeah. in, if you are not thinking about mu- jazz correctly, if you're not thinking about music correctly, or if it's skewed in any way, shape, or form, then your physical success will be limited. And what I mean by what I'm getting at with these students is something like this. I always say to my students, I'll say to somebody, how many notes do we have in music? Okay. Well, if they can't tell me how many notes there are in music, their conceptual understanding is already skewed. You, you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. They, you know, I go, how many primary sounds do we have? I said, you know, some of them. You've heard people talk about major and minor. So what are some other sounds? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't know all the other sounds. Well, okay. Well, see, so it begins with a conceptual understanding, you know, which is going to drive your physical development. And then what you touched upon also, I think is really important. You have to have, when you're talking about composition, right? You have to have some kind of formulaic way in which you approach the development of ideas, whether you're writing them down or you're improvising. And if you don't have some kind of formulaic, what, you know, the Hollywood notion is that the, the piano player sitting there with the pencil in his mouth and just, <laughs> Right, right, right. <laughs> and just grab and just grabbing notes just and then comes out of and, nowhere, man. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> right. And 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 I think you know if people approach it that way, you know, if you sit down and practice that way, where you just kind of think you're randomly grabbing stuff, what kind, you're not going to have the success that you're looking for. Not at all. Not at all. And I and, and the, the development of materials and preparation. Like, that's the thing. There's this myth out there. You said do's and don'ts. Here's a don't. Don't assume that improvisation is just getting up there and just making some stuff up. Like, that's not what good improv is. And I use this example all the time, Bob. You and I both speak the English language. We speak it pretty well. We're having an improvised conversation right now. But it is our mastery of the language through preparation, understanding, looking up stuff in the dictionary, understanding grammar and syntax and subject and verb agreement, all these different things that we've studied that allows us to to have a conversation that is improvised, but that is still coherent, where we're sticking to a subject. There There are parameters, there's boundaries, there are things, and we're able to stick within those because of how much we've prepared over the years. And that's what improvisation in jazz is as well. That's exactly right. Man, if I could reach through this screen right now and hug you, I would. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because 
you're you're absolutely you're absolutely spot on and uh you know this uh this this intellectual understanding you know like you said that some, sometimes people if you if your idea that jazz like improvisation and jazz is just being pulled out of thin blue air air then then you're already behind the eight ball and right. and that's our job as teachers to help kind of De- debunk these myths that exist out there when people right. want to study this art form, right? Absolutely. And, and, and I, and you know, and if it wasn't teachable, if it wasn't teachable and it wasn't learnable, then you wouldn't be you wouldn't be at the University of Iowa right now. You you, right. you wouldn't have a gig. You wouldn't have a gig, man. I wouldn't have a gig. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, it's very very teachable and very learnable. I just I think that you know. There's this desire, and I don't even blame students for this. You know, they're, 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 especially students of this generation, they they're the the uh, 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 students that have grown up with a bunch of tech and you know with with stuff that's just at your fingertips. So you know, right. a lot of times they're just this 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 thought that you can kind of fast track your you know can you can Google your way into a solo or something like that. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? So I don't blame them for that. It's just like, you know, okay, if you want to get this, you know, there's still some, some, you know, what you all might consider to be old school approaches that you're going to have to take. You're going to have to listen. You're just going to have to sit down and listen and absorb sometime, you know, you know, right. stuff like that. You know what I mean? That's exactly right. And uh, you don't even have to imitate you know, you listen so that you can imitate, right? That's what we, that's why we listen. So we can imitate, you know, it'd be like, I I tell students all the time, I go, you know, what would you think of a kid who wants to play basketball and he wants to play basketball at the highest level possible, but he's never watched like Michael Jordan play. Right. Or, or, or he's never watched LeBron James play. Or he's right. never watched. He's never watched. He's never watched. Hey, you know what? Forget that. He's never watched. A, he's never watched an NBA basketball game. But he wants right. to play basketball at a high level. Right. Uh, that that, may, that would that makes no sense, right? Right. So you know, uh, you, that kid would be watching basketball because who who does he want to imitate? I'm going to imitate Michael Jordan. Right. I'm going to imitate the, the the people that aspire me. To be a great basketball. Well, we do the same thing in music, right? So, you know, when you ask a student who they who who they're who they're listening to and they can't answer you, that's a problem. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 I I think that one of the, the things that I, you know, run into also, you know, which is very much connected to this is the the discipline of of listening as well it's like making that a, a daily part of what you do particularly in your early stages of of mastering this music um you know because i've i've had you know various young pianists come to me and say oh yeah you know you know how do i get better what should i do you know so on and so forth and i'm like well you know how much you listen and make sure you're doing plenty of listen listen this this and this this and this and they'll just kind of look at me like, you know, because they want me to tell them, you know, some, you know, some voicing or, you know, some pattern or something. And, you know, I'm like, well, listen, guys, like I'm uh, the reason why I'm telling you this is because if you want to know how me or, you know, anybody, you know, that you think can really play, how, how did we get there? Well, it was through this because you're absorbing more than even just those particular little nuggets that you want to learn how to play those little licks and stuff like that. If you allow yourself to, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's such an important part of it. Um, you know, I can't put enough emphasis on it because you can learn right. more from 
that than you can from taking lessons. Right. Even 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 passive listening, right? You can be cooking in the kitchen and having jazz playing on the back. Even passive listening. You don't have to always be active listening. Right. Just have it have it playing. Have it playing. You know, I, I've I've uh, I've used this as an example too. You know, I, I tell students that if if I wanted to learn, let's say I wanted to learn a foreign language, I, w- I wanted to learn how to speak French. Um, the very first thing that I would do is I would go out and I would buy a whole bunch of French CDs or French tapes of people speaking French. Mm -hmm. And I would listen to them in my car. I would listen to them when I'm cooking. I would listen to them all the time. I would have no idea what they're saying. Mm -hmm. I don't care what they're saying. Mm -hmm. I'd be listening to them because I want to understand the articulation, the dialect, how they're expressing themselves, how they're saying stuff. I would just be listening. I don't even care what words they're saying because I don't know yet, right? But I'll eventually know what words they're saying. But for now, I just want to kind of absorb the language and kind of get into French. Does, would you agree with that? I love it. And and, and and let me just go ahead and piggyback off of that real quick. Because once you do open up a French to English dictionary and you see what those words mean, you have an aural connection to it that will give so much more weight to reading the definition of that word and that you cannot get just from reading it if you hadn't done all the listening before. I will give you a perfect right. example of this. I listened to a bunch of music before um, I actually started studying jazz piano when I was 15. And I'll never forget this. My teacher showed me the blues scale. Now, I had heard it countless numbers of times before <laughs> You right. know, and I had even like I had even played it. I didn't know what I was playing. You know, I was I playing. Did the, I did you the same thing. <laughs> right, I and was I, playing it. I didn't even know what it was. Oh man! And when he showed me this, man, I want to tell. Like it was the most <laughs> eye-opening, light bulb, epiphany moment that anybody. Oh, I mean, I swear, man, it was like the clouds oh, parting, the angels. Right. Down and the sunshine was on my forehead and rainbow, double rainbow. I mean, it was like, oh my goodness, that's what that is. But it was because I had heard it so many times. That is and correct. It was in my ears. That is when so correct. To me, I had this epiphany moment, but I, I didn't realize, and I figured this out pretty quickly after that I had so much more control over it. Because at first I absorbed it so much as a listener that when I understood what it was and how it functioned, I had the listening to attach all of the definition to. Right. So it, it, it made learning what it was and how it functioned exponentially more valuable because right. of all the listening that I had done. Yeah, that's 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 fantastic. You know, a funny story. When I was in college, I had a roommate that uh, was from Iraq. A room. He was from Iraq, and we would watch uh, like the, the old Saturday night Saturday Night Live shows, right? And they would always have these skits on where, where there'd be like inside the skit there'd be some Middle Eastern person, and and so he's speaking. Aramaic or, you know, whatever I, you know, and, and I would turn to my buddy Tarek and I would say, well, what are they saying? What are they saying? And he's cracking up laughing. He goes, they're not saying anything. 
I said, they're not saying anything. He goes, nothing. But he goes, but what they what they're saying has the same dialect and accent. So it sounds like they're actually sound like they're speaking the language, but they're saying nothing. Wow. Isn't that isn't that isn't that fascinating? So wow. just through imitation, they were coming that close. They were convincing to you and me that 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 it sounded like they were actually speaking like Aramaic or something, right? Wow. And and they were not at all, but they had done listening to that dialect, listened as comedians, yeah. they listened to that accent and that dialect so much that they, they could improvise words and make Absolutely. it sound like they were speaking the language. That's, that's how in other in other words, that's how powerful listening is. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's incredible. That is incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So wow. okay. Okay. So a couple other things here, real quick, man. Cause I I gotta tell you, man. I could sit here probably for like the next four hours and talk to you. So I was just uh, thinking the same thing, Bob. I said so. So Bob and I, we gonna have to do this again, man. So oh, we, we are gonna do, we <laughs> we are gonna we're gonna do a part two and maybe yeah, even a part three, yeah, right? Let's, do it. let's make it happen. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, okay, a couple things. This is gonna be kind of like a random, uh, you know, uh, what do they call it? Rapid fire. This is gonna be a rapid fire segment. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to ask you some jazz rapid fire uh, advice on different uh, jazz piano skills. And then and you quickly off the top of your head, just tell the listeners what you would recommend with regards to practicing and how. Okay, so here we go. Scales, arpeggios. Scales, arpeggios. Got to do them. Um, Focus on your technique. Uh, because it, a lot of times cats want to play stuff and the reason why they can't do it is because they can't do it physically. Um, and then as far as using that uh, to solidify, uh, you know, your your harmony, using it for harmony, uh, the, the, the quicker you can identify scales and the quicker you can identify uh, the notes and the chords, the much faster you will be able to to learn tunes, improvise over tunes and uh, and, you know, build upon, you know, whatever other concepts that you want to know. Yeah. And I think you would probably add to that. I tell students all the time, practice scales and arpeggios through the entire sound from the root to the 13th. Don't just stop at the don't stop it. And I always I always tell students that I always have students practice scales, uh, various in, entry and exit points. I never have them play from root to root, root to root, because the ears I want the I want the ears to be uh, actively engaged, listening for something specific. Root to the seventh, root to the ninth, root to the eleventh, root to the thirteenth. So now my ear is engaged and listening for that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, okay. So scale. Okay. Next, um, harmonic development, voicings. What would you tell jazz piano skills listeners about practicing voicings? How would you right. go about doing it? Make sure that you're practicing your voicings in all 12 keys um, mm. and, and get and practice them in different sequences. Don't just practice them chromatically because you are, we play a visual instrument as pianists and it's real easy to get used to just th- seeing things in a chromatic, be it ascending or descending nature. Practice them in whole steps. Practice them in the circle of fifths. Prior, come up with your own sequences, get a friend and 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 have them call out keys and ask you to play whatever voicing that is. Um, you know, learn a lot of different voicings, learn different inversions, um, and also explore voicings for yourself. Um, right. You know, definitely get inside of them. It's because you know 
you sometimes you're going to come up with something that you didn't necessarily hear somebody else do and you need to get to the point where you're you have enough understanding of harmony to be able to feel comfortable with exploring those kinds of things and you have a have you have to have enough understanding with what you're saying there, you have to have enough understanding that if you come up with some kind of voicing structure, you have to have enough understanding to decipher what it is so that you can now replicate it in the other keys that you're that Absolutely. You just, Absolutely. You got to be able to, you got to transplant that. Absolutely. And the other thing I would say is voicings are not interchangeable from one style to the next. You need to understand what style you're playing in that moment. So that if you plan Georgia on my mind and it's calling for more triads and, and kind of root position like seventh chords, and we plan a bunch of extensions with sharp 11s and 13s in places where they don't go, just because you're playing jazz doesn't mean you're supposed to be playing extensions all the time. Hey, you spent t- you, I know you spent time in Texas, so I'm going to tell you a real quick story. <laughs> when, when, I got, when I got down here, I got down here for graduate school. And so I'm in the jazz program there, you know, and I'm, yeah, I'm doing all my Herbie voicings and my chick voicings and, yeah, yeah. and uh, right. Uh, somebody recommends me to play this gig and it's a country Western gig with a country, like a, like a country band here in town in Dallas. Right. <laughs> so I go out, I take the gig. I go, how hard can this be? Right? <laughs> I'm going like, it's country music, man. How hard can this be? Right. So I, I go out with this band and, uh, you know, I knew I was in trouble, man, when the steel guitar player sitting up next to me, I'm like, wait, wait, whoa, what the heck is that? You know? And, um, so the band starts and I, I'm playing the voicings that I'm, that I play, man. And this guy on the steel guitar, he's staring at me. The leader of the band's looking at me like, what the heck? What the heck are you? <laughs> so, so man, I had I, that. I, I tell everybody all the time that was the toughest gig I ever played because I had to. I I couldn't just rely on muscle memory. I, I just couldn't do muscle memory anymore. I had to actually think about. I got to play this shapes and sounds that fit to the the genre to the style of music that I'm right. playing. I mean, uh-huh. I had sweat, I had sweat coming off my forehead and my, you know, that was a, <laughs> that was a, that was a tough gig, man. So oh, yeah. you're right. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. Okay. Here's one right up your alley, man. We're going to talk about rapid fire, melodic development. What compositional approaches do you utilize in developing improvisation? So uh, in developing improvisation, if I'm starting right from the beginning, we're going straight to the blues scale. Uh, We're going to use that as our pitch set and we're going to focus on rhythm. We're going to focus on picking what I'll have students do, for example, is let's pick one rhythm and you're going to use only the notes in the blues scale. And you are going to rely on uh, on training your ear, essentially, to be able to be as versatile as you possibly can with these limited resources. We don't want you feeling like you got to just use all 12 pitches, all rhythms, all this different stuff. The blues scale, you know, with the blues being, you know, central to the music, being a foundational element of the music, this gets students hearing something that sounds like jazz immediately because it is. And it gets them focusing on rhythm without having all of these different things 
to uh, take into account right away. We're not, we don't even focus on core changes yet. We're not even focusing on a bunch of scales and all these other things because we want to get you as, as, as streamlined as possible to the point where you're thinking about how to create melodies using melodic motives. And then yeah, we just really do things out from there. You know, you take now do two rhythms, alternate them, put them in different spots, learn how to use some space. You can take this exercise far, even with just using notes in the blues scale. Then we get into using more pitches inside of the chords. We start talking about chord changes and things of that nature and building everything out from there. So thinking That's more compositionally versus thinking harmonically. Uh, yeah. You know, I know a lot of times jazz, we just focus so much in on the harmony, but I want you to think more compositionally because this is a compositional skill that you're developing. That's 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 correct. You know, I used to have a teacher that used to uh, give me two notes and I'd have to improvise on those two notes on a single chord. Right. Two notes. I did that, too. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah, right. It's, it's one of the best exercises, though, man. You get to think it's so like you have to be musical. You don't have a choice. You, you, know? you don't have a choice. And, and he used to say, hey, man, if you can't improvise with two notes, you're not going to be able to improvise with three. That's right. You won't. You can't improvise with four. It doesn't get easier when you start adding more. No. Right. Right. <laughs> right. If you can't do two, right? And you touched upon something else that's very. Uh, you you used the phrase just a moment ago, uh, developing with limited resources. That is so profound because I tell students all the time that creativity creativity is spawned from limitation. It doesn't. Creativity doesn't come from abundance. Creativity right. comes from limitation. Like so, we, right. So, you know, there was an there was an old TV show a long time ago. You're probably too young to remember it, but it was called MacGyver. And MacGyver was always. Oh, I remember MacGyver. <laughs> you remember? Remember that? Get, he's like in a jail cell, and all he's got is like a a pencil and a needle, and he's got to break out. Right. <laughs> right. Man. So the point. What I loved about MacGyver is he had to be creative with limited resources. In music, that's if you want to really become a great improviser, limit your resources, limit your options, and then create Absolutely. with I, right? I man, you speak in my language, Bob. I tell my students all the time, I'm like, the beauty is in the boundaries. That's where it's the beauty is. Right? And you know what? There's an old expression. What do you call a river without banks? A swamp. <laughs> oh, I never heard that one. I like that. I like right? that. I'm gonna steal that one. I'm gonna use that one. <laughs> and, 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 and so, if you're trying to improvise without the banks, without the boundaries, right? You're gonna have a. You're you got a swamp. You're gonna yeah. have a swamp. Swamp That's on your good hands. stuff. I like that. I like. Okay. That. Um, you spoke a lot about rhythmic, rhythmic skills, rhythm. So rhythmic skills. How do you how do you instruct? What tips can you give jazz piano skills listeners about practicing rhythm? Practicing rhythm for me, a lot of it, uh, one of the main things that I, I recommend is listening and moving your body, getting it inside of you. You know, this was a, a lot, such a large component of early jazz was dancing, dance music. Right. And, you know, to, to really get the swing rhythm or, you know, even if you're delving into other, other uh, uh, you know, subgenres, Afro-Cuban, things of that nature. Dancing is an underrated part of mm. 
uh, music education. You don't have, because a lot of, it's so awkward for people to think about themselves right. as dancers a lot of the time. But I'm Correct. like, it's not about you, you know, joining Alvin Ailey's dance troupe. That's not <laughs> what we're talking about. Like, we're talking about you getting this inside of your body. And I think that when we think so much about rhythm and, and, and the approach to rhythm, we focus too much on playing and not absorbing. Now, that doesn't mean don't play. I mean, obviously, right. playing is important. But, right. you know, we're talking about style. Well, it's the rhythm that defines the style. So you have to make it bigger than just your role. That's another aspect of it is understand the roles of all of the instruments because it's not just your rhythmic concept that contributes to contributes to the overall rhythmic concept. That's a part of it, but you're not doing that by yourself. You need to understand Correct. what the role of the drums are with the bass and you know all of the different <laughs> instruments and how all of those fit in. Right. That, those two things alone will take someone's rhythmic playing to another level. Another big part of rhythm is your dynamics. If you're banging away, then it's going to affect how it feels rhythmically. A lot of cats struggle with rhythm because they're trying to play too loud, right. for example, or they're not right. playing, or they're playing too soft, or there's not enough variance in the dynamics and touch and feel and accents and things of that nature. So rhythm right. encompasses all of these different things. And that's how you can ultimately, you know, and then outside of that, you know, just you know, <laughs> you got to shed. I mean, of course, you got to shed. And, right, and, and right. But pay attention to how, when, when you're listening to solos, pay attention to the rhythmic development as well. Right. You don't just listen you know, to the scales and stuff like that. Pay attention to the rhythmic development. That's exactly right. I, I, find, I have found that students struggle, believe it or not, and I think you might be able to attest to this, I think students struggle with the quarter note, eighth note relationship. So one of the things that I do is I'll have, I'll place a pair of eighth notes on count four. I'll put three quarter notes on count, quarter note on count one, two, and three, and say, now play that rhythm, make it sound like jazz. Mm. Now, let's move, now let's move those eighth notes to count three. Now let's move those eighth notes to count two. Let's mm -hmm. now, let's move those eighth notes to count one, right? Let's put a pair of eighth notes on counts one and three, right? With quarter notes on two and four. Now play that take any note and play that rhythm and make it sound like jazz or take an ar apply that rhythm to an arpeggio and make it sound like jazz. So Absolutely. I've always found that, right. I've always found that just, you know, and right. Can you swing a quarter note? Can you, can you, right. We're always talking about swinging eighth notes, but what about, can you swing that quarter note, man? Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Because what, that's what the bass player is mostly playing. If you're playing a swing tune, Right, that, that's right. That's 90% of what they're doing, you know, throughout a swing tune, so. That, that, that's correct. So, you know, this is an interesting topic. So when you come back on, we're going to explore that one in a lot more depth. Now, the last, the last rapid fire, oral skills. What You've talked a lot about listening and training the ear. What specific exercises would, would you recommend that jazz piano skills listeners do for ear training? Whoa, wow, this is weird. And we're going to have to have one on this too, Bob, because this is loaded. Let's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll break all these down, right? Yeah, I'll, 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 try to, I'll try to make it quick. But I, I'll say this as far as listening, uh, you know, if let's say there's one particular tune that, you know, you, you're like, I can get a lot out of this tune, whatever tune this is, whatever recording that it is, 
listen to it again first for enjoyment, then listen to it and listen to your instrument, then listen to uh, the relationship between your instrument and the other instruments. Isolate one of the other instruments, listen to just the drums, listen to just the bass, then pay attention to their relationships. You can you can listen to the same recording 20, 30, 40 times and have a different way of listening to it each time. Uh, and then as far as oral skills of you know other nature, what does the major seventh sound like what does a ninth sound like what is this what does a sharp turn third you know sharp 11 sound like what does a flat 13 right. sound like because right. if you need to know how they sound to know how you want to use them so you don't right. want to just be playing them because they work over the chord you want right. to be able to play them because that's what you're hearing and in yeah. order to hear it because we don't want you to play my solo or bird solo right. Or right. you know, Bud Powell right. solo or McCoy solo. Right. Learn from right. them. But if right. you know how they sound for yourself, then you right. will have your own voice because you're in control because of how you train your ears to hear the different elements of music. So don't just learn that they apply to the chord. Know Gosh. how they sound. And that that, is so that's the quickest answer that I can give you, Bob. <laughs> hey, William, you're right on. You know, along those lines, I tell students all the time, I go like, I, I say to them, you, you know, uh, dominant sharp 11. And they're looking at me and I, I, I'm looking at them and they're looking at me and I go dominant sharp 11. And I go, what do you hear? Mm -hmm. And they're staring at me. And then I go like this. Helicopter. What do you hear? Police car siren. What mm. do you hear? Hmm. Dog barking. What do you hear? I said, you, you heard all those, but I said sharp 11 and you didn't hear that. Wow. But you, but you heard helicopter. You, you, you heard, you heard dog barking. I love that, but I'm still in that one too. <laughs> I love that, man. I love that. Right. Yeah, and then I, yeah. I'll go. I'll be hey, I'll be Dr. Dr. Lawrence, I'll be quoting you, man. I'll be like, yeah, the, the great Dr. Lawrence says it like this. Oh, stop. Stop. <laughs> oh, stop. But, but, but it, it may address That's what you're getting at. That's the point you're getting at. You 100%. have to hear you have to hear those. Right. And, and if we and if we can train our ears to hear a dog barking when a dog's not barking and if we can train our ears to hear a helicopter when there's no helicopter going overhead then we can train our ears to hear a sharp 11 for heaven's sakes. Once 100%, 100 right? and you're playing skyrockets. Once you can hear all these things, cause now you're in control in a way where you're not, you're not letting the core changes run you, you know, you're, you run them. You're in charge. That's, at that that's, point. That, that's right. The tail's not wagging the dog. Right. Right. So, you know, you know, another thing, just real quick, I, I like to have students do is play the changes and, and recite the harmonic function out loud when they're playing it, right? So they're going one, six, two, five, one, three, flat three, two, five. So they're hearing this relationship, this harmonic motion relationship, right? Wow. Because if you if if you just if you go C major, A minor, D minor, G seven, well, what's the relationship? The, the, the ears are going like, okay, so what? Right. Right. But once but one, six, two, five, one, you know, I tell students all the time, if I say one, six, two, five, one to any accomplished jazz musician, they're hearing it already as I say it. One hundred percent. You're absolutely right. Right. <laughs> I love it. 
And, and, and we want our students, do we not? We want our students to hear what's not there. You know, like I, I always give the example of the chef who sticks his finger into the pot, right? And, and he actually can tell you what, what, what's missing, you, right? He tells you what's missing. Yeah. He licks his finger and goes, it needs garlic. Yeah. Put garlic, right? We should be able to hear music and say, it needs a sharp 11. We yeah. need a sharp 11 here. Right, right. Absolutely. We need a, yeah. we need a flat nine here. I'm still that beautiful. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> William, man, this has been like on a scale of the one to 10, this has been like a hundred and <laughs> 150, man. I mean, it's been such a joy to meet you officially meet you. You know, I felt like I've, uh, I, I, I already knew you. I read your bio and information and, and I also feel like I know your mom, man, even though I haven't met your mom, I got, yeah. you know, what a great woman. So, <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. I appreciate that. It's, this has been amazing. This has been uh, amazing, Bob. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to do it again, man. Let's let's make it happen. Let's do it. This is awesome. We will, we will do it again. And for all the Jazz Piano Skills listeners out there, do a Google search for William Menafield. And there's some playing out there. Uh, check him out at University of Iowa doing great things there. The students are very fortunate, very blessed to have you on faculty there and guiding them and teaching them and uh, helping train the next generation of jazz lions that are going to come up and, yeah, and keep this wonderful art form alive. So thank you for all that you do there at the university as well. Oh, thank you, Bob. I, I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. And man, this this is amazing. Can't wait to do it again, man. This is we awesome. will definitely this we'll is do awesome it again. What you're doing like this is awesome. Let me oh, say this. I, I am so excited about this podcast to know that there's all these listeners out there, people, pianists, excited to learn jazz. My goodness gracious. I, I wish you all the best. Please, oh, please share it hard. Listen a lot. Absorb. Have fun. Man, this is awesome. All right, William. God bless you, man. Thanks so much. I'll be back in touch with you soon uh, through email and phone, and we'll get you back on the show here quickly. Uh, but I'll let you know when this podcast is up and going so you can share it with friends and students there at the university as well. Wonderful. Love it. Thanks a lot, Bob. <laughs> All right. Thank you, William. Well, I hope you have found this Jazz Panel Skills podcast episode with special guest Dr. William Menefield to be insightful and, of course, beneficial. One of my mentors and teachers, Al Franzen, used to say to me after every lesson, never forget. The greatest thing about music is the people you meet through it. And the privilege of meeting and spending time with William simply confirms Al's sentiment 100%. Don't forget, if you are a Jazz Panel Skills member, I will see you online Thursday evening at the Jazz Panel Skills Masterclass, 8 p.m. Central Time, to discuss this podcast episode featuring Dr. William Menefield in greater detail and to answer any questions you may have about the study of jazz in general. As always, you can reach me by phone, 972-380-8050, extension 211, by email, drlawrence, drlawrence, at jazzpianoskills.com, or by SpeakPipe, found throughout the Jazz Piano Skills website. Well, that's my cue, and that's it for now. Until next week, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the pearls of wisdom shared by Dr. William Menefield. And most of all, have fun. 
as you discover, learn, and play jazz piano.